This morning we'll be in Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 through 24. We'll be looking at Genesis on this morning, the greatest of mornings. As we celebrate the empty tomb and Jesus' victory over sin and death, we celebrate the forgiveness of sin. We celebrate God fulfilling His promise, the greatest promise. Several of you asked me this week if we were going to stay in Genesis or if we were going to do another passage for Easter. A good question. Sometimes I do sermons commemorating whatever holiday it might be or holy day. But this week I knew we were staying in Genesis because the gospel is here. And I want you to see it from the beginning. It was the intention of your gracious Father to save us from our sin. It is a promise we received this morning in Genesis chapter 3 that echoes through all eternity. And this promise demonstrated once and for all that the love of God never stops, it will never give up, and He will never ever let us go. And so let us read this morning from Genesis chapter 3 verse 8. Context here is right after Adam and Eve have eaten from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which God forbade them to eat from. Knowing that on the day they would do it, dying, they would surely die. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to me to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. And he shall crush your head, and you shall crush his head. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain and childbearing and pain. You shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face. You shall eat your bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now lest he reach out his hand and also take of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden. To work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man. And at the east of the garden of Eden he placed the cherubim. And a flaming sword that that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. 
The first thing we see here this morning in this Easter sermon is that our first parents, when they sinned, hid from God. And it seems pretty silly, doesn't it? The man and the woman hiding themselves from God. In the original language, it's a little more absurd than them just hiding themselves among the tree. In the Hebrew, the text makes it sound like Adam hid Eve. That he hid his wife with her and then he hid. It is like, the, the picture I want to get in your mind, did you ever play hide and seek as a child? Maybe with a little brother or little sister. And every time you found a good hiding place, like they would try to get in that hiding place with you. And they wouldn't be quiet. And so you would like try to move or get them to go somewhere else. This is the picture of the garden. Adam and Eve hear God coming and they're panicking. And so I guess Adam's trying to hide and Eve's trying to hide. So he hides himself and he hides his wife. He's like, you go over there. I will hide over here. As if they're going to be hiding from God. So the panic is the countdown's coming. You've played. You know, you got to count to 10 or 20, however long you play. And you hear the person count. There are like 17 your little brothers in the closet with you. And it's like, you got to go somewhere else. He's on 17 going to get us caught this is how they're doing they're hiding themselves from the all-knowing all-seeing god who created everything and knows everything and they're trying to hide from him behind trees it is absurd and silly but have you ever done it Have you ever hid from God? Are you hiding today? Are you hiding because you are ashamed? That's why they hid. It says they knew they were naked. And in the Bible, naked doesn't simply mean that they had no clothes on. It means that they were revealed. It means that they were ashamed, exposed before God. And they knew being exposed before God that he would see all. And he would know that they had eaten from the tree. He told them not to eat. They were exposed. And that's what Adam says when he said, I knew I was exposed. And the Lord said, did you eat from the tree I told you not to eat? Son, did you do it? He knew the answer. God knew the moment that they ate. He saw them in the garden there with the tempter, Satan, the serpent. And yet still they hid out of shame. So I want to point out that last week the first thing, as I mentioned, that Adam and Eve did when they sinned is they made fig leaves for themselves. First they hid from each other, then they hid from God. And that's what sin does. It separates us from one another and it separates us from God. And we hide out of shame. And we do it even today. You have hidden, I am certain, from friends or loved ones who you really are and what you really think Because you are afraid if you were discovered for who you were, that they would not love you or wish to be with you. And if you have ever felt that if people knew everything about you, that you would be ruined, that your secrets would compromise your relationships, then you're ready to be saved. There are no secrets from God. He already knows everything that you have done. And as he did to our first parents, Adam and Eve, he calls to you this morning, asking you, where are you? And listen to me very carefully. Why does he ask, where are you, if he knows where you are? 
He's not asking for his sake. He's asking for ours. Where are you? Where are you? What's going on in your heart? Where are you with me? The Lord is asking you that this morning. He has been asking it from day one. Where are you? Why are you not coming to meet me in the cool of the day? I made you to walk with me. Where are you? He stands ready to forgive you this morning, to love you, the real you, today. Today is the day of salvation. Today you may walk with the Lord in the cool of the day, no matter who you are or what you have done. He has made a way. Adam and Eve are terrified to be exposed for the Lord. And he says, Adam, did you eat? I did. The woman you gave me, she ate and she gave to me and I ate. And he turned to the woman and he said, what did you do? I ate. The serpent, the serpent deceived me and I ate. He doesn't ask the serpent, what did you do? He curses him. And in cursing the serpent, he blesses us. This is the first gospel, the first promise of Easter that was ever given. This is God's response to sin, is to preach to us the gospel. He says to the serpent, our old enemy, the devil, our adversary, because you have done this. And look, in your passage, I want you to note that in your Bibles, this is probably indented on both sides. That means that this is a poem. When God condemns Satan and gives us our curses, he does it poetically. So this is also the first example of poetic justice given right here. Because you have done this, curse to you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Interestingly enough, when the judgment is proclaimed, Adam and Eve are not the only ones hiding out in the garden. The serpent is also there, and God addresses the serpent directly, and he is present for his judgment. When the Bible says here that the snake, the serpent, will go on his belly all his days and eat dust, that does not mean that God took the legs off the snake so that he would crawl on his belly. He might have done that. This is a poem. When God says he's going to go on his belly and eat dust all the days of his life, that is poetic for he will always, always taste defeat. All of his days. Have you ever heard somebody say they can eat dirt and die? This is what that means. Satan is going to eat dust all the days of his life. It doesn't, and when he crawls on his belly, it is an image here, it's a poem of subservience. He will never be the victor. From that day until the very end, Satan tastes defeat every single day. Today, we celebrate the day when that defeat was made Final, though all the sons and daughters of God from that day until this one have been kicking him in the head from that day until now. In Isaiah 65, 25, we have the beautiful picture of the restoration of all things when God comes and makes all things better in the day of the Lord. And he says this, the Lord says, you're probably familiar with this. 
The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like an ox. I love that picture. <laughs> the lion with his big teeth chewing straw. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. And dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. It's also a poem. What the Lord is saying there is that everything will be at peace. All will be well. Children will be able to put their hand into the adder's den and they shall not be bitten. The lion will lay down with the lamb because he's chewing straw like the ox. But the serpent will be eating dust. Because his defeat will never end. His agony will never stop. He will always be on his belly. And as the Apostle Paul wrote, the God of peace shall soon crush Satan underneath your feet. He is a defeated foe. This is why your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour in 1 Peter 5, 8, because he knows that in the day when all of our tears are wiped away, when everything is made new and the lion lays down with the lamb, he will still eat dirt. He will still be on his belly. From this day and forevermore, God has cursed him to the agony of defeat. And how is the serpent defeated? Here it is in the next verse. I will put enmity between you and the woman. That's a big word, enmity. And this is what it means. They will be forever enemies. They will always oppose one another. They will have deep hate for each other. This does not mean that women are going to be scared of snakes. It means that they will always be in conflict and fight. The seed of the woman will always oppose the seed of the serpent. Always. And how is he defeated? He shall crush your head. This is, your passage may say bruise. That's fine. But this is a mortal wound. It is not a mere bruising. He will crush your head. You're going to be in opposition to the seed of woman forever. And he will crush you. And in crushing you, you will crush his heel. The seed of the woman will smash the head of the serpent so hard that he will break his own heel in the destruction of the enemy. A mortal wound to the heel. And that's what we celebrated Friday. The smashing of Satan. The mortal wound of our Savior, the seed of the woman. This passage is actually the key to understanding not only Easter, but the entire Scripture. The entire point of the Old Testament is not to give to you the history of Israel. That is a bonus. The entire reason they wrote the history of Israel is because they are looking for this seed. That's why the prophets wrote. Soon Eve will have children, Abel and Cain. She was hoping that they were the seed that would crush the head of Satan. Abraham was promised that his seed, through his seed, all nations would be blessed. This is why Moses is writing down, through the seed of Abraham. There it is, the seed of Abraham. 
Maybe it'd be Isaac. It's not Isaac. His seed's going to be the blessing to all the world. Maybe it's Jacob. No, not Jacob's seed, but Judah's seed. Through Judah will come the one to whom the obedience of the nations will belong. This is why they're chronicling in the Chronicles all the line of the kings of Judah because through Judah would come the seed that would crush the head of Satan. This is what they're looking for. This is the point of the Old Testament. This is why you get a genealogy in Matthew and Luke because they want you to be sure to know that Jesus Christ is the seed of David of the tribe of Judah, son of Jacob, the son of Eve. The seed of the woman will crush the head of Satan. The seed of the woman, her name is Mary. Mary had the privilege of bringing the Christ into the world. So that on the cross Friday, in smashing the head of the serpent, our enemy, crushing him underfoot, also, by the way, crushing death and judgment and hell on our behalf. He himself received mortal wound in which he did die. And for three days lay in the tomb, and on the third he rose. This is what we celebrate. That was the defeat of Satan. That is what we are celebrating this morning is that the tomb is empty and the promise so long ago given to Eve and to Adam has been fulfilled. The seed of the woman has come and he has defeated our enemy. By way of the cross, Jesus of Nazareth, son of Mary, has defeated the serpent of old and his doom is certain. He will be bound with heavy chains and cast into a bottomless pit. He will be thrown into hell with all of those who follow him. He has no hope. He is defeated. And every single day he lives in defeat. Satan spends all of his time seeking whom he might devour. He tries to stop and stymie the church of the living God. And every day people get saved. Every single day saints die. Loving not their lives unto death, but go on into eternity. He cannot stop them from becoming sons and daughters of God. He cannot stop them from glorifying God. Every single day, another Job shows Satan who God is. Every day. Every day, there is a child of God afflicted with sores so deep that their bones might be exposed. Our, our brothers and sisters die of cancer. They die of persecution. They die of martyrdom. They die in car wrecks. They die in drowning. They die in all kinds of different ways. And every single one of them, as they die, go into the presence of their Savior, never defeated by the enemy, not by death or threats or sickness or sorrow or separation. Nothing separates them from the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord. And when they die, they die with praise in their heart and on their lips. And when they see Jesus, they say it's all worth it. That's the report I get from this scripture. We ain't afraid of snakes. Our Savior has crushed their head. Jesus is alive. The son of Eve. 
This is why in 1 Peter it says that these are the things that angels long to look into, that these are the things that the prophets wrote of. They were desperately seeking the things that we see, and that is Jesus. The prophets were looking. When is the time and the season when our Savior will finally come? When will our Deliverer come? When will our King come to save us from our sin? Today we celebrate the Son of David, risen from the grave. He is alive today. And the Holy Spirit roams the garden of this world in the cool of the day, every day, asking, Where are you? Where are you? What do you doubt? Doubt's what got us in this mess, by the way. Eating this, you will surely die. The serpent said, you will surely not die, but you will become like God. Where are you with your doubts and your fears and your sin? Have you brought them to the Lord and confessed that you might be saved? The Holy Spirit is here today. And if you feel the heartbreak of your sin, he can take it away. And the Lord God is gracious. From the moment that they sinned and said dying, they will surely die. They did die. They were separated from God. But there is grace and mercy with the Lord. Verse 21, it says, The Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Where did the garments come from? Where do you get skin after all? The first sacrifice and covering we see was made by God himself. That he might clothe his children before he banished them from the garden. In verse 22 says, The man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, lest he reach out his hand and also take of the tree of life and eat and live forever. And there's a little dash there. The implication is live forever in the condition he is in. God didn't put us out of the garden because he was mad at us. He put us out of the garden so he could save us. It was mercy that moved him to banish us. That we might be brought back in due time. He is good. And from the beginning has had our well-being at his heart. He drove out the man at the east of the Garden of Eden. He placed the cherubim with a flaming sword. It turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Because we were not worthy or ready to partake from it. When Moses was instructed on how to build the tabernacle, when he made the holy place, they were to draw a big curtain in front of it, very thick that no one could go in there. And onto that curtain was sewn pictures of cherubim with flaming swords guarding the way. What was there in the garden? Was it just fruit trees that we could eat from as we please? No. It was the presence of God. And that's what we lost. But that's what we get back through Jesus. The first gospel is preached in Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. That our enemy, Satan, would be destroyed by our brother and our Savior, Jesus. That there would be another Adam who would not fail. Who would come from Mary, live a perfect life, so that we might be reconciled to God. This is the good news for you this morning. And it is good news. Many of you, most I hope, are already Christians. But just because you're a Christian 
doesn't mean you're not hiding from God. Come on out. Where are you? Come out and serve. Come and confess. He is gracious and good to forgive you. And all the sin that you're clinging to that you think is making you happy is not. It's making you miserable. You can be free today. He will break the chains of your sin. He will make you white as snow. Though your sins be as scarlet. Come out. Confess. He will save you. He is risen. He is at the right hand of the Father. Praying for you. Come out. Adam. What have you done? Just get honest with your father this morning. That you might be saved. Christian and non-Christian. The invitation is open to you. Remember. That Jesus did crush the head of Satan on the cross. And that now he inhabits his people, the church, his bride. And that every day, we too crush the head of Satan. Because we love his son. And we do the works that he's called us to do. And everywhere the people of God goes, Satan has defeat. Every day he experiences it. This morning, our brothers and sisters are either already awake or are waking up all around the world celebrating the fact that the tomb is empty, our Savior got out, and that he will never go back in. And that all of his children, every brother and sister, is one day going to join him in the air. And Satan cannot stop it. Defeat will be his food Forever. Come out and confess and stomp his head today. Let's pray. Father, help us this morning. Oh, we are so happy. Your son has saved us. He is worthy of all honor and glory and worship and praise. He fills our hearts with joy. He has taken our sorrow and despair and the ruin that we've made for ourselves and he has turned it into beauty and glory. Oh, Father, I know that there are people in here, beloved image bearers of yours, who are trapped in sin that so easily entangles. Set them free through repentance today. Set them free by the power of your spirit that they might, too, leave their tomb of their own making and enter into your marvelous light. Lord, save them from sin. Help us, Father, this morning. Let us have a true Easter resurrection that those who are now in darkness might see a marvelous light. Those who are dead in trespass and sin might be resurrected by the same power that brought your son up from the grave. Be with us this morning. Father, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you'll stay up.